0: In the end I'm still the street reporter in my head. You know, I'm still the guy doing the stakeout. I'm still the guy like trying to figure out how I get into the place to get the interview.
1: Welcome to the Beyond the Newsroom podcast, where we talk with guests about you guessed it, life after news. I'm one of your hosts, Lou Dubois,
2: and I'm Diana Alviar. and we're two former NBC News colleagues turned real-life friends, now building careers in new industries, but we'll always be journalists at heart
1: and storytellers. And on this podcast, you'll be hearing story after story from other journalists who've gone on to find professional success and happiness in new places.
2: And we're starting with Greg Getrich.
1: Greg, first off, thank you for joining us. We've known each other quite a long time, and Diane and I are super excited to have you here uh, as our first guest on Beyond the Newsroom. Uh, Greg, for a little bit of context, is the chief executive officer at Creatively. Uh, It's a company that's a job platform that exists really to champion professional creatives. Uh, And it's a company, Greg, that you launched in the early days of the pandemic. Uh, So lots of good stories probably that we can get into here in a minute. Um, And in less than three years uh, from the numbers that I have, grown to more than 400,000 creatives, over 2,800 brands uh, who use your platform to connect and hire talent. So uh, this week, just named one of the five brands that could be be the future of their industries by Fast Company, which is huge, so congratulations. Uh, With that mission, I can't think of a a better first guest for us on this podcast. So uh, Greg's also worked at the Los Angeles and New York Daily News, NBC News, Mashable, Vocative, and a list of many more. Uh, So Greg, first off, thank you for joining us. Uh, And maybe to start with, walk us through a little bit of that journey that I just talked through there.
0: Yeah, no, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, Lou and I have known each other for quite some time, so I could tell many a story, but I will not. Um, And uh, excited to chat with you both. Um, But yeah, I like to say that my career makes absolutely no uh, linear sense. Uh, I was an investigative reporter twenty years ago in Los Angeles, investigating uh, corrupt cops um, and the school district. Uh, moved back to New York, uh, ended up being the top editor of the New York Daily News, news editor, um, ran the newsroom um, there. Uh, and then I moved over to NBC, like Lou said, and somehow ended up at SoulCycle as uh, chief commercial officer years later. Uh, and now at my creative land, uh, I've been fortunate to have all those opportunities, um, been able to build um, a few businesses over the last 15 years. I think the through line when I think about it uh, is very much uh, everything I've done um, has focused on brand uh, storytelling. um, And then in the last 15 years, digital products. Um, And those three things are what uh, excite me personally. Um, And I think the same thing that made me a good investigative reporter um, continues to serve me today where I'm just curious uh, I love digging into things. Uh, I love talking to people who are smarter than me. Um, and uh, that's always helped me uh, as I've built teams and businesses and and products.
2: I love hearing about that and you talking about the through line, because that makes so much sense to me, Greg. And thank you so much for doing this. Um, it, the fact that it's all about like brand storytelling and digital products is such a no brainer and, and 2022, but back in the day when you left the newsroom and you started doing new things, um, it wasn't quite so obvious. So I, I, I want to ask you, because a lot of times when people reach out to us, it, they think that news is so specific and they're like, I look at my resume and I don't even know what transfers over it to other jobs. So what was it about your background in news and spe- specifically that made you feel like, yes, I can do this. I'm going to go do something completely new and I know I'm gonna be okay. Cause I think that confidence factor is key, but it's so hard to like, it's so hard to find it sometimes when you're making such a seismic change.
0: Yeah, I think it's easier looking back than when you're living it. Uh, So I hope I can help folks who are living it right now. Uh, In 2008, you know, I had the job I always dreamed of. I was uh, the top news editor at the New York Daily News at the time was the biggest Metro paper in New York and one of the biggest uh, media entities in the country. And I wanted that job since I was in second grade. My dad's a newspaper man. I grew up dreaming of working, not just in newspapers, but for the New York Daily News. And it was early 2008, uh, and I uh, just had this feeling that uh, I was a generation or two too late, that uh, everyone who, I got my news uh, at that point via blogs, and increasingly via my phone, which remember the iPhone was super new then. And I felt like I didn't wanna be any of my bosses. And it was this stark moment of, oh God, what do I do now? And I just began to get the word out that I was open uh, to uh, doing something else. But I very much still wanted to understand news. Uh, one thing led to another and I got the opportunity to go to NBC. Um, and that was the first time I got to build something from scratch. It was also the first time i worked uh where my peers uh were about the same age uh, as me and they had come from all these amazing backgrounds you know the head of marketing had come from espn um he and i really clicked and that was the first time that i ever started thinking about things about brands target audience and it was because he would ask me those questions and initially I had never processed things that way. I'd never thought through things that way. So it was completely new to me. Uh, but when I took that moment, I realized that one of the reasons I loved the Daily News from the first time I laid eyes on it as a kid, the a very clear brand. It, Daily News back then knew what it was. It was New York's hometown paper, and it existed for the working class and the middle class in New York, and it told everything through that lens. And it, but it wasn't, even though I lived it, I breathed it, I loved it. I didn't think of it that way when I was at the news. It was, I had to leave and meet uh, a guy who was incredible uh, at marketing and brand and strategy to start thinking that way. Mm -hmm. And once my brain started processing things that way, it really helped me because then I started thinking, all right, who's the target audience? What are they looking for? As a result, what should the brand be the identity, the voice, the tone, and then what's the right type of content and products to reach that target audience with this brand. And that was a process. I'd say like from 2008 to 2010, I was also lucky to uh, take on the PL and and become the GM uh, of that division of that business. Um, and I had to you know, learn as I was doing it. It was like my business school on the fly. When I look back, it was very much like growing up with the Daily News and realizing that we could beat anyone else, any of our competitors. We could be best in class as long as we knew who we were and we made the right decisions based off of uh, our brand, our target audience, and the resources we had.
1: I, I love the, and something Dan and I talk a lot about is that sort of transition from you know, content as journalism to content for brands, right? And, and we, we've talked a lot about that too. The last thing you said to you, um, this is obviously one that I'm super familiar with, is um, your ability to to sort of build and grow multi-talented teams. You talked a little bit about that. It's not something natural that you do when you come from that journalism background, but, right. but I think it's something you're really good at. And I'd be curious to hear from you how that became something you were good at,
0: um, and and maybe why you enjoy it. Oh uh, no, thanks. Uh, I love it. I think it's uh, one of the things that I've had success at in a variety of places. Um, I think at, at first, just uh, because I I went from growing up in uh, the newsroom and being a writer, a reporter, to joining the editing desk, and I was young. I I think I tried to. Uh, Pattern myself after editors and bosses who I had, who I respected and liked, um, but also took uh, lessons from folks who I felt like were not the best. And and that, it's just right when you're writing a story, you know, or you're editing a video, you have to decide what you're not as much as what you are. And that really helped me. So initially it was just about how did I carry myself? And I, I think one of the things that I always respected from the folks who I worked with was when they showed up into the newsroom or they showed up at work, you didn't know if they were having a good day or a bad day. They carried themselves consistently. And to me, that consistency was something that I always wanted to at least strive for. And obviously, you don't always achieve it and you have bad days like anyone else. But I just remembered how my day would be impacted when a certain editor would come to the newsroom and you just knew immediately they were having a really bad day. And you were just like, "Ah, like whole day is gonna be fucked because they're having a bad day. And I didn't want that to cascade onto my teams as I started to have teams. First, you know, a few folks and then hundreds of people. So that was kind of thing one. The second thing is when I was looking to then build teams, I was looking for people who complimented one another. I felt like, uh, and I, uh, the analogy I use is like, is a road trip is you don't want five people in a car who all want to drive the car. And that's
2: fabulous. I love that. That's such uh, a good analogy.
0: Thank you. No, it's, to me, it's like, you want someone who's going to drive the car and then you want somebody who, when that person needs to sleep because a proper road trip you drive overnight too, that when that person's sleeping everyone else in the car is like oh this person's the backup driver this person's going to drive when the driver is asleep so there's a clear hierarchy in terms of you know the the deputies or the folks in the car and then you need somebody who's always going to be pressing the limits and be like what if we go this way like what if we turned you know just tore up the whole map in the plane and then you need somebody who's more rational and is like you know we need to actually, this we agreed, we're going to do this, and here's why. So whenever I build a team, I look for folks to complement one another. Um, and I love a team that can come together around that brand, around the target audience, set a plan. From my news background, I love tearing up a plan. And I think like you need a plan, number one. But you have to be willing to tear the plan up and know when to tear the plan up and then pull together another plan. And that served me too. So I look for folks on my team who are wired that way, who are not going to get rattled um, if the initial plan doesn't hold, um, and who in fact will get excited and who will um, you know, find energy and creativity and the fact of like, all right, let's go this way instead. Um, and then let's keep evaluating and keep making new decisions. So. That that's always those things have always kind of benefited me as I've changed uh, jobs, i change changed industry, and as I've worked in different scale. You know, uh, creatively it's a seed stage startup, we have a very lean team. Uh, whereas at uh, SoulCycle, Mashable, NBC News, we were global operations. They're different, um, you know, types of teams to motivate, to lead, to manage, and to learn from. But those things kind of hold true throughout
2: i'm smiling so big right now because i'm laughing because lou would be driving the car okay like we know like our dynamic is like lou has the plan like lou has the agenda lou drives the car and then i'm the i'm in the passenger seat and i'm like planning the playlist ripping up the map saying wait there's a scenic overlook over here (laughs) so that helps explain somewhat of why we work really well together. Like, of course, Lou sent the Zoom link, and then I'm the one that couldn't get my speakers to work. But somehow, you know, like the dynamic still works. I love that. So much good stuff here. I mean, my head was kind of, you know, popping off when you were talking about how you were looking at people, uh, your best managers that you didn't know if they were having a good or bad day. I've never heard it put that way. But you're right. Like some of my best managers today are just like, they're stoic, right? Like, they're just like, okay, don't get rattled. We'll figure this out together. And I'm sitting here going like, man, I need to be a little like that.
0: i also think that, I mean, that, I might, I took that to an extreme and then I had to like, figure out how to, uh, remodify and adjust. And that meaning that I pride myself on being unflappable, uh, stoic, not Mm. knowing if folks, if I'm having a good day or bad day. It wasn't until I got to NBC news where I had this amazing number two, Hillary Fry, and she, you know, definitely appreciated that about me. But she also would say to me, like, you've got to uh, show people your personality. Like, you've got, like, you know, when I'm hanging out with friends, I'm sarcastic. Um, I'm a reverend. Yeah. Um, and she was like, you've got to bring that in a little bit. And especially when it comes to celebrations mm-hmm. um, and acknowledging great work and thanking people. And that was a learning experience for me where I was too much of a stoic, uh unflappable probably like hard ass you know newspaper man and Mm. it took me a good four years of just learning as i was building teams and companies and you know managing to learn like you know how do you uh express uh gratitude how do you tell people they did a great job uh celebrate take that moment um and i because i i definitely didn't do that and that was from the newspaper day of like, you have the exclusive, you got the front page, the next morning, no one cares and you start again. And I had just been wired that way. That yeah. It took one of my, uh, you know, folks on my leadership team to tell me, Hey Greg, like, it's great that you're consistent, but you actually need to bring some more emotion into the room. And that was helpful for me too. To also just had that relationship where uh, I, I could hear it, but she also felt like she could, you know, be that direct with me and tell me.
2: Yeah, one of the things I think that, you know, Lou and I have talked about as well is I I really struggled when I first made the jump with um having to make small talk first and having to like I I would just cut right to the point and be like, hey, I need this. And people were like, she's kind of rude. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not rude, I swear to God. I just like, I just want to get shit done, right? And, um, you know, I had to learn how to get along in a corporate environment because it's so different from a newsroom where you're like literally turning around and being like, do you have this? Do you have that? Where are we on this? Where are we on that? And nobody gets offended. So on that same note, I'd love to hear a little bit more about now that you're CEO, I mean, you, you founded this company and you're CEO. I mean, the buck stops with you. So what if anything from your days as a newspaper man and your days uh, on the digital desk at NBC, like what did you take from those experiences that you can now apply to being a CEO? Because I think a lot of times people who are are in news kind of think of themselves as, well, I run the assignment desk or I'm a producer or I'm a reporter and don't necessarily see themselves as the person at the top making the decision.
0: Yeah. I think like, the thing that, one of the things that always benefited me is setting the, like, what could be viewed as an irrational expectation or a, a, a goal that's out of reach. That came from the newsroom. You know, you're, if, whether you're at NBC News and you're a global news operation or you're at the New York Daily News um, at the time, which was focused on Metro, you had to believe that even with limited resources or the resources you had, you could pull off the amazing. And you had to do it on a deadline. And you couldn't move the deadline, you know, that the show was going to go on air or the paper was going to get printed. And that was it. And I think I, I feel grateful that I grew up during that time because it's harder to set deadlines. Now, everything is rolling and constant um, and squishable. And, you know, there's, there don't have that fixed deadline in a lot of industries uh, even in, even in media, you know, you can wait five more minutes. Where you can't wait five more minutes if the going on air or the paper the
1: flag. presses.
0: So I, that combination of like, what's the flag we're marching toward, and do it in a way that is achievable, but is like feels like is really going to be hard. But also knowing you have to do it in a set period of time, that's definitely uh, benefited. Uh, you know me and the cultures that I create, but when you do that, it's got to be like we're doing this together. Like we're all in this, and um, I will do anything and everything, uh, not only at creatively, but everywhere else I've been if it's needed, uh, to get something done. And I'll give you an example. Like I negotiate our big partnerships at creatively that bring in significant, you know, strategic value and revenue. I also, to this day, if I'm asked, will write the social post or the email. Because A, I know I can because of my background and training, but I also like it. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to do it eventually, but it helps the team at times. It's something they know they're going to ask me to do. And it keeps us all together. We had an event at Zero Bond in Manhattan and march uh for women's uh history month um and it was we had you know hundreds of folks come from our community we partnered with this amazing gallery apostrophe and we were minutes away from the doors opening team is moving around team is small and we're just trying to get everything done and i noticed the carpet was dirty by the elevators and i went and grabbed the vacuum and i vacuumed the (laughs) carpet because of course i did like it wasn't like it wasn't like oh man i gotta and uh one of the uh, photographers from the Paz gallery took this picture of me wearing, you know, a suit with this vacuum, vacuuming the carpet in zero bond. I love that picture <laughs> yeah. because I, I, in the end, I'm still the street reporter in my head. You know, I'm still the guy doing the stakeout. I'm still the guy like trying to figure out how I get into the place to get the interview. And I don't ever want to lose that. Um, and I do feel comfortable now, you know, standing on stage. Uh, talking, you know, to folks at a conference or a convention, talking to partners and advertisers in a way that I never would have, you know, way back when. But I don't want to lose that willingness um, to, you know, write the copy or grab the vacuum.
1: It's funny to hear you talk about irrational expectations because I feel like we live that together a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, I apologize, Lou. I probably irrational.
0: I, <laughs> I
1: also think that to, to your last point, and this is, I think, it, it's such a great point about not being afraid to roll up your sleeves a little bit, right? And I think that no matter what job you're in, and no matter how big your team is, being able to show them that you can do what you're asking for, right? Because you've done it, right? I think it's it goes such a long way, and I. I know it's something I see every day with, with my team when I am willing to jump in and do something that maybe their their previous leader hadn't, right, or something like that. So I, I'd be curious to hear from you and, and just really probably two more questions from us here. Um, you, you've you done this a lot for me over the years, but I'd be curious, um, you talk to a lot of other folks who are in the same position as, as we're, we're sort of talking here uh, about making the move from news to something else, Greg. Uh, what's the best advice you give them?
0: I think the best thing is journalists uh, are great uh, at asking questions. And I think uh, you need to lean into that. So that's kind of number one is just, you know, use your curiosity and use your ability to not only ask questions, but then to learn, right? Like some journalists, like best journalists, you can assign them any beat or topic and they'll figure it out and they'll understand it. Uh, so I think that's. A lot of journalists, for whatever reason, feel like I'm not going to understand the business side. But then they'll go and they'll cover like a complicated story that like they've never had any background in. So I you mean
2: me explaining the subprime mortgage crisis when I'd never taken an economic course? So I'm like, why are you asking me to do this? Yeah. And then it turned out that I could. So I, if I can do that, anybody can do
0: anything. Yeah, There's a highly contagious virus on a cruise ship. No reporter would be like, I can't understand that. So <laughs> it's very much, that for some reason, I think it's because of the history of church and state, which is a good thing. It shouldn't go away, but it's just the the understanding that you can figure it out. So that's number one is just kind of ask questions. Number two is I really dislike jargon and I dislike acronyms more than I dislike jargon. And that's because in the end, I'm a storyteller and writer and acronyms and jargon exist to keep people out. They exist so folks can use the jargon and the acronyms so they can, you know, demonstrate that they know more. And it's unfortunate, but I also think I had to learn that you have to learn the acronyms and you have to learn the jargon because if you're looking to move to another industry, you have to speak, in that language Mm. and that just goes back to the target audience like in that case your target audience is somebody in a brand who lives and breathes things differently than you did in news and media so then for me when i was going from mashable to soul cycle i had to start stop talking about the social team and stop talking about even like the audience development team and i had to start talking about top of funnel mid funnel bottom funnel and I had to learn how to, I knew how to do it all. It was just completely different jargon. And I would. I needed to convince myself that I could bring my expertise, experience, and background to the new industry and have value and be able to deliver on what they were asking me to do. But I also had to bring the curiosity and be the guy in the meeting on a regular basis, in a leadership meeting, in a town hall, and not be worried and say, I got a question and ask the question, and know that other people in the room probably have the same question, they're just not asking. So to me, it's those two big things. It comes back to curiosity and confidence based on the curiosity knowing that as a journalist, you figure things out all the time. And on the other side, like know your target audience and understand how they speak, how they talk to one another, and make sure that you can participate that way uh, so that you're not viewed as like someone who doesn't understand their industry or their brand or you know what they've been doing in most cases for all their life so those two things have definitely helped me and helped me when i talk to other folks and give them advice figuring out that uh
1: jargon and acronyms to your point it's it's one of the hardest things i feel like making the shift in corporate and i laughed at it as well because i'm i think diane and i are very similar to you like it makes me cringe when I hear some of these things. Right. And I think that uh, it's just part of how people talk in a different environment. Right. I guess there's, there's probably newsroom statements that you wouldn't hear in a corporate
0: environment. And there's plenty of corporate statements that you would never hear in a newsroom. So. I think it's, it's definitely like subconscious. Like I don't think people wield it intentionally, but it's definitely become secondhand. And then I would say just be good to other people. Like once you uh, make the, the, you know, move take time and talk to other folks and there was uh, someone at nbc local uh kathy Woo brady who she was never in media but when i was hired she took time to explain to me like what different uh, acronyms were and at that time you had ge acronyms for the own nbc you had nbc acronyms you had digital acronyms and sales acronyms and i went from the most straight talking foul mouth newsroom to that and yeah. i remember i would just write it down in my i still carry you know reporter pads with me and i would write it down at the acronyms and i would search like to find their meetings but then she would also like take the time to walk me through everything in early days which was very helpful and i try to do it for other folks too Greg, i'm still
2: the person who swears the
0: most <laughs> <laughs> well, i'm still I, the
2: person who, i'll like you know an an f-bomb will slip and i'm like oh Damn it, we don't do that in corporate.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny because I, I only do it around former journalists where then I realized yeah. how much I uh cursed um and probably still do. I'm not gonna you know. it's it's part of what we like about you, Greg. I think um <laughs> uh th-
1: this has been awesome. I think. Uh last question for you, and this is really a chance for you to kind of brag on what you're doing there. Um So for the folks who are listening, take 60 seconds or so and tell us about Creatively. Tell us what you guys are up to. I think, as I said at the top, such a great platform for the folks that are listening to this content.
0: Uh, So we're a professional network uh, for uh, creatives. So anyone with a visual portfolio is who we exist for. So video editors, motion uh, designers, animators, illustrators, photographers, makeup artists. Uh, The whole idea being that uh, if you work in a visual medium as a creative professional, LinkedIn, uh, traditional job platforms, we're not built for you. They don't serve you. Uh, And that's because when you hire one creative or a team of creatives, the first thing you want to see is their work and you want to fall in love with their work and then you want to see who they did it for and who they did it with. So what we do is we give creatives free tools to showcase their portfolios, high-res image, 4K video, motion. We make it super easy for them to collaborate, show who they did the work with. And then our whole mission is how do we help them find jobs, paying gigs, full-time, part-time, freelance. So we have 400,000 creatives on the platform uh, in uh, just over two years. And then there's 2,500 plus companies that post jobs, uh, but also use the platform's recruiter dashboard to proactively reach out to creatives and offer them uh, jobs. Uh, We have an iPhone app and a website entirely free for creatives, and then we charge the companies monthly and annual subscription fees uh, to post the jobs and use the recruiter dashboard. So. It's one of those things that uh, when I heard about it, uh, I am a CEO. I'm not a founder. I was uh, the two founders reached out to me, uh, told me what they were up to. They had a pre-beta version of the app. Uh, and I when I heard about the idea, you know, I linked in for creatives. My first thought was like, oh, the world needs that.
2: Well, Greg, I think that something like Creatively is going to do wonders for the creatives out there who are thinking like, where's my place? Where can I make business doing what I love? So I love the concept. I love all of the gems that you gave us. I have so much that I'm going to take from what you said and apply it to my own corporate career. And I feel a little better because I'm not gonna stop throwing F-bombs and I'm not gonna stop being myself. (laughs) You You have liberated me and all the folks that are listening to this podcast.
1: Yeah, Greg, Greg, thanks so much for doing this. Um, I'm going to make sure never to use an acronym when we speak again. Um, (laughs) Lots of other great takeaways, too. But seriously, really love the work you guys are doing there creatively. And um, again, thanks for making the time to to chat with us here. No, thanks for having me. Uh, It
0: was great chatting with you both.
2: That was such validation that you need to continue not only being yourself, but taking the same Drive and curiosity that we all had, and the willingness to work in the trenches, and applying that to wherever we end up next.
1: Yeah, I think so many great takeaways from Greg. Um, I learned that I can't take a road trip with either of you. That was probably my big one. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think I think being authentic to yourself and and, and to, to be you know honest. I think the the team piece of it too. I've been lucky enough to to work with Greg twice, as I said a couple of times here. But I think that that sort of analogy of you know showing up as your best self no matter what kind of day you're having uh really resonated with me as well so yeah this was great i'm really glad we got greg on here and uh look forward to the next one
2: we're definitely going to bring lots of different kind of people for us all to learn from and feel like yes we can do this and be happy (laughs) so luke thanks so much see you soon
1: yeah we'll talk soon